Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. This is Jay Harwitz with the Mets Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast. And it's my privilege to have on the podcast this week, Jerry Kuzman. Hey, Jerry, is it true if a couple of things didn't happen, you might not even have been a Met. The story I've been told is that the only way you, reason you were signed because the son of an usher warmed you up in the army and he recommended the Mets sign you. Is that part of the story true? Well, yeah, part of it's true. Um, I was uh, playing baseball at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, and we were heavily scouted. But um, my catcher, John Lucchese, whose dad was an usher at Shea Stadium, uh, told his dad about me and said to contact the Mets. Well, that was... um, one reason that Red Murph came down and saw me again, I guess he had seen me once before, but uh, I guess it um, got him going a second time. Yeah, Jerry, the other story is going around is that you were about to be released in 1966, but on the way to spring training, your car broke down and you owed the Mets money and, and the Mets wanted to keep you around so you could repay the loan. I mean, how accurate is that story? Well, yes, uh, most of it's true. Um, three of us, Jerry Johnson, Jerry Wilde, and myself were leaving Atlanta to drive down in my car to a Homestead, Florida for spring training. Well, Jerry Wilde was driving the first leg of the trip, and in the rain, we uh, had a collision at uh, a red light, and my car got totaled out. So um, we had took a vote to who could call, who would call uh, Joe McDonald and see if we could get some money to get a bus ride down there. Well, uh, Joe wired us some money, but in the meantime, I spoke to my father back home, and he said, why don't you just buy another car? You're going to need another car anyway. So I did. I bought another car, and uh, we didn't uh, have to buy bus tickets to go to Homestead. We drove down. So anyway, Joe McDonald said that I owed him the money for that, that he had I think it was 50 bucks <laughs> that he had um, wired up to yeah. us. At, in, in those years, 50 bucks would get three of you down to Homestead, Florida from Athens, Georgia. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, evidently he thought it was all, the 50 bucks was all mine. Uh, but anyway, that was his story that he... Um, they were talking about releasing me or going over when they're doing cuts and 
he said, come to my name. And he said, no, he's a, keep him. Uh, I, I got to get the money back out of him. Well, it's, so anyway, but Frank Larry had taught me the slider that spring, which was uh, a great pitch. And, uh, I ended up going North with Clyde McCullough to Auburn, New York in the New York Penn league and had an excellent year. And next year was in the big league. Yeah. You had an excellent career too, Jerry, just looking over your record, you know, 222 wins, um, a three, three ERA, you know, double figure wins 13 times. Uh, it's a pretty outstanding career in the world series, uh, you know, three and oh, uh, with a two plus ERA. You know, it's been a couple of months now, you know, Jerry, since the reunion in, in June. You know, what are you looking back? What are your thoughts now as we get into where there's a lot of crucial dates in September that I want to ask you about? Like, we get closer to World Series time in 1969. What are your thoughts looking back from the, uh, you know, from the uh, celebration? Well, it was great seeing the guys that could make it. There's a few that couldn't, and I feel bad for them. But, uh, yeah, we're all getting older. That's one thing I noticed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you got to laugh a little bit. I mean, you have to laugh at yourselves. But uh, compared to what we used to be 50 years ago. But it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of laughs. And it was great seeing everybody. And, uh, you know, we all age. Uh, you know, life doesn't last forever. Yeah. Let me throw a couple of dates out to you from September 69. September 8th, the Mets beat the Cubs 3-2. You struck out 13, probably the high point in that game in the first uh, inning. Bill Hands threw at Tommy Agee's head, and you came right back and hit Ron Santo with a forearm or something. And that's what I, that's the way you pitch. You protected the players, and if somebody threw one of our guys, you threw back? Uh, that is true. On my end, I saw it happen to our guys sometimes when our pitchers didn't retaliate, and uh, it kind of ate me up inside. But I was going to let uh, my hitters be intimidated. And I'm sure. And uh, besides, the Cubs were a rivalry, and and uh, I just wanted to stop it. And I'm sure the, the guys loved you for that, that you protected them. Moving forward, September 10th, um, after all the losing, you really didn't have that much losing because you came late, but after all the losing, the Mets beat the Expos a doubleheader, the Cubs lose, and for the first time in, in franchise history, the Mets going to first place and never look back. What was your thoughts that day, you know, going into first place for the first time? Well, the little bit I remember about it, it was always great to win. And uh, plus, being in first place is another feather in your cap. Uh, okay, now we're in first place, but you got to hold it. So uh, certainly we knew, all of us, that uh, we had to play our butts off and uh, maintain that lead. Jay, what do you think happened to the Cubs? You know, in mid-August, the Mets were behind by nine and a half games, and wound up winning by eight. So from the last seven, eight weeks of the season, the the Mets uh, picked up 17 and a half games on the Cubs. That's a lot of games to pick up in a lot, not big period of time. Well, it is. We not only got hot, uh, you know, that we started to get the feeling that uh, drier air, cooler air move into New York, and that gives pitchers a second uh, win, so to speak. And the Cubs, on the other hand, they're playing all their home games in the daylight, in the hot, under the hot sun. And over a course of a season, that has to take something out of your players. Plus, Leo DeRocher, he played his top nine players most of the time. And they were getting, I'm sure, tired. Under the hot sun and playing every day, um, yeah, it, it gets to you. Where Gil Hodges... Uh, 
he had more of a platoon type ball club. And, uh, so we had our defensive players later in the game and, um, you know, a, a really strong pitching staff. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, energy wise, we were, um, you know, playing much better than they were the last two months of the season. And then there's the uh, old black cat game against the Cubs. Do you remember, you know, I mean, Chase Stadium had a million cats and the story, Eddie Crapel said that the cat came out to one time it was never seen again. I mean, he just went right to the Cub dugout and stayed at Leo and was gone. And what, what do you remember about that game? Yeah, I don't think they had a million cats. There's probably a thousand. Yeah, a lot but, of cats. Uh, <laughs> I, I do remember that cat coming out. It was actually quite fun, uh, funny to be just sitting there and observing it. But uh, that cat came out. Of course, the fans are uh, howling and all the noise, and the cat gets scared and runs to the other end of the dugout. Of course, the fans are there screaming and hollering. It runs back again. So uh, it was quite amusing. And, Jerry, another game you were involved in a couple days later, you know, the Mets go into um, the Forbes Field, beat the Pirates a doubleheader, one nothing, one nothing. The Pirates had, you know, Clemente and Stargell, a lot of other good hitters. And in, in, in the doubleheader, you pitch a three-hitter in the first game, get an RBI to win the game, and Don Carterell pitches the second game. And gets an RBI and win the game. That's pretty unusual. That you know the starting pitchers in a one nothing game each get an RBI. Well, and we both threw shutouts. I don't believe that'll uh, ever be um, passed or tied. Um, it it was quite a game, and you're right. The Pittsburgh had probably the best hitting lineup of anybody in the league, and uh, so to. To win that game, and I drove in the run with a line drive over second base, and Don Cardwell drove in his run with a line drive over second base. So those games are pretty identical. Yeah, another game you weren't directly involved, but it had to be interesting to see. Uh, we go into St. Louis, uh, Carlton strikes out 19 Mets, Subota hits two two-run homers, and we win the game 4-3. to three. At that point, you guys kind of think that maybe – you know, things are going to go our way this year when you start winning those kind of games? You know, I, Jay, I saw seasons where those kind of games always went against you. Right. But to have a, a season where those kind of games went for you, I mean, Steve Carlton had great stuff that day. You could just imagine. He struck out 19 of our hitters. But uh, Ron Sabota come up and uh, evidently threw, uh, you know, the fastballs right what Sabota was thinking. And for him to hit two two-run homers, and we beat him, I believe it was what four to three. Four to three, yes. It sir. was, uh, yeah, it was just an uh, unbelievable game. Yeah, and then we come to the key date, uh, you know, twenty September twenty-fourth. Gentry uh, shuts out the Cardinals, and the Mets win the division. I mean, did you think that day going back to spring training that could happen? After all the years of 100 losses, that had to be a pretty rewarding day for everybody. No, there's no way in spring training that I thought that would happen. I think most of us thought that we were a better ball club. Um, Gil Hodges was certainly a great manager. Um, we, I think everybody felt that we should improve our win and loss record by, you know, at least 15 games or something like that. But I don't think anyone thought that we're going to have the kind of year we did winning 100 ball games and over 1,000 strikeouts. So so we get to the division, win 100 games, and still going to face the Braves, still a big underdog against Aaron and Cepeda, you know, Rico Cardi. I mean, 
there still wasn't that much respect for the Mets going into those playoffs. Was there, Jerry, at that time? <laughs> you know, that series, everybody was predicting it was going to be a pitching duel because they had excellent pitching also. But uh, it turned out to be a hitter's duel. I mean, gosh, uh, what, 11-7, to 7, uh, you know, there was high-scoring games. And that was something that uh, we just didn't experience during the season, high-scoring games. Our games are always low, very low-scoring games. So, yeah, that was uh, quite a turnaround where the hitters carried the pitchers uh, against Atlanta. So as we get to the World Series against the mighty Orioles, you know, the two Robinsons, Boog Powell, and Davey Johnson with 40 home runs, and not many people gave the Mets a chance going in. Is that correct? Uh, that is true. We were the underdogs. They had, I believe, three 20-game winners, Palmer, Cuellar, and uh, McNally. And uh, then um, Frank Robinson is a cleanup hitter. They had, yeah, they had strong bats, a strong lineup. So uh, we knew we had to play hard and do our best. And, uh, you know, it, luckily it turned out that way. We lose the first game and win the next four. And that was wonderful for us and for New York. You know, let's go back to the second game. You know, we lose the first game there. You're on the mound a second game, probably the biggest game of the season, maybe of your career. What kind of pressure did you feel, you know, that you don't want to go back to New York 0-2 against the Orioles, right? Right. That's correct. Um, yes, the, the receiver pitched first game we lose, I don't know what it was, 4-2 to or something. Yeah. And uh, naturally, we don't want to go back 0-2, um, you know, losing to the Braves. So, I, I mean, I, I pitched my heart out. Uh, the, the pressure is mainly felt prior to the game. Uh, once you get that first inning under your belt, it gets to be pretty much normal out there, or at least you're more at ease. But also, you still know it's a very, uh, you know, <laughs> expensive game, you might say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we came out on top on that one. And uh, thank God for Al Weiss. He was uh, one of our heroes in that series with his bat. You have a no-hitter through six innings. You know, we score a run in the, in the ninth. Uh, Gil leaps in for the bottom of the ninth. He walked the first two guys. I mean, I guess you didn't want to come out of the game huh, in that situation. Well, yeah, I had a no-hitter going into the seventh. Right. But um, then Paul Blair got a ground ball base hit between third and short, and that broke up the no-hitter. He stole second base on the next pitch. And anyway, uh, they scored, tied the game up, I believe it was, one-to-one. Um, the ninth inning, um, I go out there because uh, Gil, I believe, let me go out there because Boog Powell was coming up. He is a left-handed hitter. So I think he was hitting second. Anyway, I believe the first guy I got out, I end up walking Boog Powell, and I think the next guy got on, I can't remember how, um, I got somebody else out too. I think there was two outs when uh, Gil came out, took me out and brought in Ron Taylor and Ron got the last out with a hard ground ball to Ed Charles, the third and his alley-oop throw to first and the game was over. And then, and then game five, you know, with four behind three, nothing. And uh, I, I, I guess it's been written that you, you know, after the Orioles got up to a three, nothing lead, you said no more runs and not get any more runs. And that's what happened. And, uh, what was your feeling, Jerry, on the mound? We see the ball go out to Cleon. He catches it, kneels down, and um, after all the hard work, uh, 
the Mets World Champions? Well, just to back up a little bit, um, Frank Robson hit a solo home run off of me. That was a pitch I thought was a pretty good pitch, but he's a very good hitter. And then there was the bunting situation where Dave McNally come up. There's a runner on first. We're all looking for the bunt. Throw him a high fastball, which I'm supposed to. He swings away, and it's a two-run homer. Well, I, I was very perturbed after that because I think we're all fooled, look, fooled looking for the bunt. And I came in a dugout, and I said, that's it, guys. They're not getting any more. Well, we came on. Our hitters uh, did well. Don Clendenin uh, took, uh, went with the long ball again. And uh, by now, the ninth inning, the crowd's on their feet. It's so noisy in the stadium, you can hardly hear yourself think. But also, you can't hear the ball hit the bat. So with two out and uh, I believe a runner on, Davey Johnson hits a fly ball to left field. I didn't know how hard it was hit because I couldn't hear it hit the bat. And so you just turn around. You hope it's going to stay in the ballpark. Well, I turn, I look and watch Clay, and he goes back a ways, and he stops at the edge of the grass by the edge of the warning track. And uh, I know then that the ball's not going to be out of the ballpark. And he catches the ball, goes down on one knee, and I just kind of said to myself, squeeze it, Cleon, don't drop it. Yeah. And uh, that was it. It was, uh, you know, a lot of lot of load off your shoulders for all of us then. Yeah. Well, looking back, Jerry, it's 50 years, and you guys accomplished a lot. And more than just a sports team, you made a lasting impact in New York and the country. And I'm sure it was great for you to be such a key part of that team in 69. Well, thank you. But the fans were uh, just as big a part. I mean, they made it worthwhile coming to the ballpark every day and uh, having them cheering you on and uh, rooting 100% for you. And, just all the the support we got from everybody, it was wonderful. Well, Jerry, thanks for your time as always, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.